So it's August 31st, it's 2016. Titus Magnus has been upon the planet now three days. I don't know who got that word during worship, probably sat on it, didn't, didn't give it like you should have. But there was a scripture that I know was rolling around your mind. It was 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 5, going through 6. When I read it, you'll begin to understand it, and uh, I, I bet you bear witness with it. When we came to Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. I'm pretty comforted by the coming of Titus. Sasha, would you stand up with your uh, beautiful son? <clears throat> Y'all are going to have to be patient with me. I'm a grandfather twice over now, which means I'm going to begin every sentence with back in my day. Back in my day, we didn't have cell phones. Or whatever it might be. Does that sound fair? Is that okay? Y'all not uptight tonight, are you? Because we're going to have a good time. Our message tonight is called Jefuna. Jefuna. And uh, I think we are probably best served to start in Psalm 37. As you turn to Psalm 37, there is going to be a sign-up sheet that is going to go around. Uh... We're in a time period in our church's history where we're going to celebrate some very good things. Uh, towards the middle of the message, I'm going to share them with you when I'm confident I have everybody back in the room, everybody um, fully engaged. There are victories happening in this place. It has not all been uh, difficulties. There have also been amazing victories. The pastors of this church want to meet with you. We meet with you in our homes all of the time. We meet with you in this building all of the time. We want to come to where you live, where you sleep, where you eat. We want to come into your house. We want to join hands with you in your home. Pray about the things that concern you in your home. We want you to share your struggles with us, and we're going to confide in you because that's how you build relationships. This is called, in our church history, Shalom Bayit. It means peace in the home. We want to share in this struggle for right order with each other. We want to sharpen mezuzah statements. We want to focus callings and move forward in an incredibly united way. I want to win. Amen? Amen. Anybody want to win? Yes. I want to win, and I believe that we stand better when we stand connected with each other. So a sign-up sheet is going around. If you would like pastors to come to your home, put your name on the list. If you do not put your name on the list, that is not a guarantee that pastors will not come to your home. It simply means that we will consider ourselves unwelcomed when we show up. <clears throat> Are you all going to be all right tonight? I love this congregation. 
There are many things that have prompted this message, and we're going to camp out in Psalm 37 for a while. One of them, look at Elijah praising God back there. One of them is what should a Christian's response be to the kind of difficulties that we've seen? That has been on our minds. You know, when you consider what has happened, and Pastor Sutherland recapped it on the 28th this last Sunday, the kind of things that have happened to this congregation in the last 30 days, what we've been involved in, it's extraordinary. Uh, there was a seven-day period where the Stevens family skipped three full days, night and day, of sleep in seven days. Uh, you can hear it in our voices. And yet, there's so much to celebrate. I'd like to start with you in Psalm 37, and I'm going to tell you it's a bit of a word study. It's the kind of thing that would be easy to gloss over at first. So in Psalm 37, I have a slide that I'd like to put on the screen regarding that. <clears throat> what we have here is I chose one, two, three, four, five, six uh, translations and put on the screen for you. I did that because that's what fit. If you chose 20 translations, you would find that Psalm 37 and verse 23 is a very difficult passage to translate. Consider what the NIV says here. If the Lord delights in a man's way, if who delights? The Lord. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Now, whose steps are made firm in that sentence? You would guess that it's the man's because we have a lowercase h on the pronoun he, but it's, it's not entirely clear, okay? The idea here being in the NIV that if God delights in your way, he makes your steps firm. How about the complete Jewish Bible? Adonai directs a person's steps, not necessarily a man's, just a person. And he delights in his way. Who is delighting in the way? Probably the man, right? It's a lowercase h. Uh, but in this case, it's not. It's a person's steps. Look at the uh, New American Standard updated edition, the most recent. The steps of a man are established, not just made firm, but established by the Lord. And he, he there is capitalized, he delights in his way, as if God is delighting in your way. Do you see the differences there already? <clears throat> in the uh, English Standard Version, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Uh, the inference here is that if you delight in the way uh, that the Lord, if you delight in the Lord, that he is establishing your steps. How about the New King James Version? The steps of a good man. Somebody say good man. Good man. <clears throat> when you see the New King James Version here, they've added, it's not just a person, it's a man. It's not just a man. What kind of man is it? are ordered by the Lord, and He, capital H, big pronoun, He, the Lord, delights in His way. Are you getting an idea for the nuances that are here? Well, it makes a difference whether or not God is ordering your steps and you delight in what He's done, or whether or not you just make steps and God delights in them. It makes a difference which way we read this. And I believe in this passage we have something that is beautiful, something that's playing out all around us. Amen? Are you ready for it? <clears throat> We're going to go to our second slide. And you have to forgive me, I'm fighting through something like the flu. Um, 
This is the interlinear version of the Textus Receptus. I know that text is kind of small. Can you get an idea for the fact that there are six Hebrew words here? In these six Hebrew words, and by the way, if you want to be very technical about it, there's seven Hebrew words. That first one that says, by the Lord, is actually two words. It's compound. But when Hebrews write that kind of phrase, it just looks like a single one. That first uh, a series of words here, by the Lord, the steps of a good man are ordered and his way he delighteth in. Do you see how it's difficult to know what is modifying what in that order? Does that make sense to you? Okay. I'd like to take these in order for just a minute. And um, I'm just going to go right to left across the board like the Hebrews do. Is that okay? So 3068 which you can see is uh, by the Lord, is the phrase by the Lord. And, of course, 3068 is actually the divine name of God. It's yod heh vav heh But in this passage, what you actually have there is another word that is crammed right up next to it, and it's Strong's number 4480. I'm going to put that on the board for those of you that like those kind of notes. And when you get that together, you get the phrase, by the Lord. The next uh, phrase here, 4703. 4703 uh, are the steps of. And when we say the steps of, it's probably important that we understand what that means. <coughs> I have a slide on 4703. The steps of, this word here, misad. Uh, a masculine noun, meaning step or footstep. Hence, it's translated steps of. The word is used of the way a person's life unfolds. Picturesquely, as one walks along a path by moving his or her feet, the Lord orders people's steps. i leave that on the screen, and somebody in the congregation turn to Proverbs 20, 24, and you see another example of the way in which that's spoken of. Say there when you're there. Proverbs 20 in verse 24. A man's steps are directed by Yahweh. How then can anyone understand his own way? Do you see we're talking about more than steps. We're talking about the way a life would unfold. So when you see this, it is really more about the way a life unfolds than just where your feet are. Does that make sense to you? So by the Lord, life, you're, you make your steps, life unfolds. That's, that's clearly without dispute in people's understanding. The next word is our first really contested word. Is Strong's number 13, you can go uh, back to the interlinear. Is Strong's number 1397, and um, it's gibber. Does anybody in the room recognize the word gibber? Yes. Now, in this translation that's on the screen, it says a good man. But in the NIV, it just said a man. In the complete Jewish version, it just said a person. Which begs the kind of question, what is it? Is it a good man? Is it just any kind of man? What is a gibber? 
This has been a nickname for one of my sons for a, a long time. Where is he? Over here. If you say Gibor, uh, G-E-B-O-R, and remember in Hebrew it's only consonants, there are no vowels, that is an uh, adjective or adverb, depending on how it's used, that means mighty. If you say Gibber, G-E-B-E-R, with those vowel points in that way, we're speaking of a noun that refers to a man. But there are so many ways to say man. Why would you choose this way? For instance, when God made Adam, he made a, a man. Do you know what his name was? Adam, because that's the Hebrew word for man. This passage in Psalm 37, 23, it doesn't say God orders the steps of an Adam. It doesn't say that. Another Hebrew word uh, for man is uh, Strong's number 376, ish. It doesn't say God ordered the steps of an ish. Another one is godel. It, it, none of those are used. Why was the word gibber used? Gibber is a masculine noun meaning uh, a mighty man. <laughs> A virile man, a warrior. It is used of a man but often contains more than just a reference to gender by referring to the what? Nature, Nature of the man. So a gibber is a certain kind of man. It usually has overtones of spiritual strength and masculinity based on the verb gabar, meaning to be mighty. That's interesting, isn't it? So is it just a good man? Is it just a man? What kind of man? This is speaking of a spiritually strong man. Okay? So life unfolding. And here we're talking about a spiritually strong or masculine, a, a, a holy man. I'm just going to put spiritually strong man. Next in our list of the six Hebrew words is Strong's number 3559. I told you this would be a little tedious in the beginning, but it'll start to make sense. Strong's 3959, this word is kun, and it, it means uh, are ordered, obviously, which is why it's translated that way. But when we say are ordered... If you could give me uh, slide number five. Kun, a verb meaning to set up, to make firm, to establish, to prepare. Do you see why some of the translations said a man's footsteps are established by the Lord or the Lord establishes them? The primary action of this verb is to cause to stand in an upright position. And thus the word also means fixed or steadfast. It signifies the action of setting in place or erecting an object, even establishing a royal dynasty. When you see this word, not only does it not just mean ordered, you could think of it as established. You could think of it as prepared. You could even think of it as steadfast. What's beginning to build here is a sort of amplified version of this verse. By the Lord, a life unfolds of a spiritually strong man. And something about the steps which we're going to get to are ordered, established, prepared, and steadfast. That's entirely different than just saying the Lord makes a man's steps firm. 
Don't, don't you think? Now we know what kind of man steps are firm. Our next word in this list um, is Strong's number 1870. And when you look at Strong's 1870, this is a very important word. Its root is direct. And um, when you see direct, we have slide six. That'll help us with this. A masculine noun meaning a path, a journey, a way. This common word is derived from the Hebrew verb darak, meaning to walk or to tread, from which the basic idea of this word comes, the path that is traveled. The word may refer to a physical path or road or to a journey along the road. However, this word is most often used metaphorically to refer to the pathways of one's life, suggesting the pattern of life. If you bring that down as pattern of life, it's clear we're not talking about not having your ankles turn along a path somewhere, isn't it? By the Lord, uh, a life unfolds of a spiritually strong man who is ordered, established, prepared, and steadfast in his pattern of life. That's... That's beginning to be an entirely different picture than you may have gotten from it. The last part of this is Strong's number 2654. Let's uh, roll back off of that slide. Strong's number 2654. This is the phrase he delights in. In, uh, in Hebrew, it's chafatz, C-H-A-P-H-E-T-S. Nobody argues about he delights in. <clears throat> they don't know who the he is, but they know somebody's delighting. So when translators are looking at this passage, they go, okay, the Lord is clearly in this. We're clearly talking about steps that are metaphorically a life unfolding. We're clearly talking about some kind of person, maybe arguable what kind. We're clearly talking about uh, something that is being ordered, established, or prepared we're clearly describing that as steps, a path, a way, or a pattern of life, and somebody's delighting in it. But in six different translations, they came to six different conclusions about that. Welcome to the world of translation. Uh, I mean, that's, that's difficult. Does anybody want that job? <clears throat> when you're thinking of somebody like a gibber, before we get to the end of this, what does a spiritually strong man look like? Y'all turn to Psalm 40. In fact, let's put that on the screen for a second. Psalm 40 and verse 4. This is an account of the word gibber, the kind of man this is speaking about. Blessed is the man, the gibber, not, not the Adam, not the Ish, not the Gadel. Blessed is the gibber who makes the Lord his trust. What makes a man spiritually strong? What makes him a valiant man, a mighty warrior, even the one translation said virile, a strong man uh, physically and in every other way. Blessed is the giver who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. There is something about trusting in the Lord in every situation that makes a man more than an ordinary man. Can you say amen to that? When you look up and you see Sam Aragina sitting in church today, 
When you watch newborns walk into the service, is that normal behavior? I know Christians that are convinced that for the first three months of their life, they're not capable of going outside their own house with a child. But in three days, we can bring newborns to services. What makes us that way? When you trust the Lord, it does something to you. Sincerely trusting in Him affects your overall character. You become more than an ordinary man. Let's show you what a strong man does that doesn't trust in the Lord. How about Jeremiah 17.5? If we could put that on the screen. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the giver who trusts in giver. <laughs> Cursed is the strong man who trusts in strong men, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. No matter how strong you are, when you do not trust in the Lord, it makes you cursed. No matter how weak you are, when you trust in the Lord, it makes you spiritually strong. Refers to you as more masculine than other men. One translation even suggests virile. Something about you is different because of your trust in the Lord. How important is it that we trust in the Lord? Some people are just stepping through life. For others, they see a pattern unfolding in life. How many people do you know are truly happy with the way their life is going? I would like to suggest to you from slide seven... I'm a grandpa now. I don't have to explain it. I can just say because I said it is, right? I'm teasing. I just explained it. This would be a sort of amplified version of the verse, all right? Not doing anything other than considering the root of every word, considering its placement in the sentence and what tense it's in. The steps or unfolding of life for a brave, spiritually strong man is prepared, established, made firm, and steadfast by Yahweh. He, the man, will delight in his pattern of life. I wanted to talk to you about a pattern of life that is unfolding around us and why at this place in our lives, what we should be doing is delighting in what we see. This is not the time to quote-unquote lick your wounds. This is not the time to sit around and talk about how hard life has been. Consider some things. You ready? Are you all ready? Just this summer, we could do innumerable ones, but just this summer, consider these seven victories. Nolan and Tara got married on June 11th. If you've known Nolan and Tara for a while, you might understand what a victory that is. We just saw a pastor apostatize himself because he could not control his sinful nature, could not die to it. It has ruled him. We watched Nolan put that very same demon under his feet and live a holy life. Yes. That is a victory. Yes. 
I refuse to sit around and mourn those who are a slave to their flesh. I would rather celebrate those that have become slaves to righteousness. Shiloh Moloch is sitting in this service in her mother's arms tonight. A bona fide medical miracle. A beautiful child. Could you stand up and show her to everyone? Look at this precious baby. Because the midwife... The midwife and the neurologist that she sent the picture to were 100% certain that she had a debilitating, irreversible medical condition that um, there's no cure for. Except that after prayer, she began to do things that are not supposed to happen medically. Her head grew at an exponential rate. And she is a beautiful, perfectly shaped little girl today. How will you remember the summer? I'm suggesting that those two miracles are worth remembering. We saw Ibrahim and Eve. The uniting of Egypt and Switzerland in the great state of Texas. I watched their wedding while on one of the many trips. I have been gone more days than I have been home this year. I have slept away from home far more days than I have slept at my home. I watched their wedding via a live Facebook cast with my friends who are in Africa and India and they were commenting on the wedding while we were watching it. How about miracle number four? The Adarmes sit in here with us tonight. Kaysen Adarmes has been given to the Adarmes home. A child that they have prayed for, fought for, gone through exhaustive examination in an adoption process. And after being disappointed so many times before, now they have their child. You can sit and say, well, of course they have their child. You know, it's bound to work out eventually. But they had to stand and contend for the faith. And to us who fought for that, it is a miracle. The first time I had dinner in their home, it was the subject of our discussion. The last time I had dinner in their home, it was the subject of our discussion. There has not been a day gone by that they were not fighting for their child whom they had not yet met. Like so many others, we also began to intercede for children in Haiti. And many of us are still supporting them there. We also began to stretch forward through children that we would never receive because we have a spirit of adoption in this place. It's not about just one child. That is a victory that this summer brought us. The Arising Church came down for a trip to Mexico this summer. A man who had not walked in over a year walked steadily for 25 minutes. His legs were working so well that his cardio was having a real problem. It was far enough that I would say it's over a half mile, but I didn't get to measure it. They saw a lame man walk this summer 
We cannot forget these kind of victories. Our hearts should be swelling with gratitude. When we consider that Titus is sitting on the front row, I get, I'm a grandfather. I'm going to wear a Titus t-shirt every day until it falls off of my body. I'm unashamedly proud. Understand what has gone into this. The moment that I became born again, my blood relatives and I had a chasm between us. The moment that I became born again. Some have lingered on uh, around the outskirts of Christianity, but none, not, not one, has taken it seriously enough to hurt for the gospel. At best, they're social Christians. And you already know what I think about that. It costs something. We were the first in the little church that we were attending at the time, being raised up in, to have children. We had no idea what we were doing. But we believed that what God had given us was life-changing and generation-changing, and we fought for it. When we made choices like not having health insurance, and I'm not saying anybody should do that, I'm telling you we did it, Because we felt like the Lord told us to. People said we were insane. When I named my son biblical names, I was openly mocked for that. To see my son get married, delivered to the altar, a virgin, married to a pure, precious woman of God, raised in the same kind of faithfulness and fidelity, and then see that couple produce offspring in the first year of their marriage that will serve the Lord, what am I supposed to do besides celebrate? I was sitting in Germany with a man named Elmar, and my son and I were fighting. He was only 15 years old. I was telling him about the promises of God in his life before he was born. And he said, I love you, Dad, and I appreciate it. And I know that you believe that, but that's not enough for me. I have to hear from God for my own life. There's not a father in the room that will squirm with me a little bit over that. I thought, you hear from God just fine when you're 18. Right now, I've heard from God for you. I went to sleep distraught. Woke up the next morning and Elma prophesied everything that I had said to Judah. Straight to him. We arrive in India. And while we're in India, the Lord uses Isaiah 59. And he speaks to us. Can you put Isaiah 59 verse 21 on the screen? As for me... This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or the mouths of your children's children or the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forevermore, says the Lord. I believed when my firstborn son was 15 years old that this was a promise God gave us. And I wrote it in my Bible. I was inspired by the seven generations 
of Indian Christians that I was staying with. So inspired that we went nine more times to visit them and will go as soon as the country lets us in again. I want you to consider something. Put Matthew 10.39 on the screen while we brag on Titus for just a minute. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is one of those scriptures that is so easy to just look over. I want to tell you some very practical things that it meant for me. It meant that when I got born again and was asked to leave my own home, it meant that when Matthew and I began preaching the gospel in our hometown and it cut him off from his relatives, me off from my relatives, we were losing our life for Christ. No longer welcome at family events. No longer greeted with the same hug and a smile that we had received our whole lives while we were wicked sinners. But it also means that Matthew 12, 48 through 50. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It means that when we lost our family for the Lord, he gave us a family back. Now, that has always been the church. How many of you know that we've always had people live with us? Raise your hand if you know that about the Stevens. How many of you know that the Stevens could be counted on to move at almost any time in your lives? How how many of you have had a Thanksgiving meal with the Stevens? Our family became the family of God, but with the coming of Titus and the marriage of Judah and Sasha, the Lord gave me a blood family that I had never had before. It's like if you will give him your life, he will give back to you something better than you ever had before. Look, this is not some wicked prosperity message. You know what this is? This is the truth of the gospel is that it's not a one-time giving. You give your life as often. I got to tell you another thing that Titus means to us. We're not just talking progenitory and namesake. Namesake never meant anything to me. In fact, I, was, I inherited a bad name. We're changing that. The very first apartment I ever went to lease, I already had bad credit and I'd only been 18 a few days. Meet with me sometime. I'll tell you how that works. The very first time I ever did a real estate transaction, the woman looked at me and said, how do you spell your last name? And when I told her, my own father had beat her out of thousands of dollars and she wouldn't talk to me. I had no idea. I mean, namesake is not what this is about to me. In October of 2011, my wife had a vision. How many of you have heard something about that vision? An open vision. Many times when you hear things from the Lord, you don't know how to apply them. You you don't know what they mean, right? You do your very best. For instance, it was said about John. Jesus looked at, at Peter and said, Uh, What if I want him to remain until I return? He didn't say that he would. He said, what if I want him to? What does that have to do with you, Peter? So the rumor spread among the apostles that John would remain alive until he returned. Anybody read the end of the book of John? 
Okay, well, Jennifer had a vision. We began to draw some conclusions from it. But for us, they're very real, right? I mean, we changed our life insurance policies. We, we, we changed everything based on that. I went out in my backyard. I'm just being real. And, and, and Brent, I want you to hear it because you're doing the same thing. I went out in my backyard and I got on my knees and said, Lord, it is my joy to give you that future that I will not have. Seeing my daughter married, seeing my children have children, the day in which Judah gets married, it is my joy. I gladly give up those things for your will for my life. I gave it away believing there was no chance that I would live long enough to see grandchildren. And yet I have two in this room right now. When you lose your life for His sake, you find life. I can't tell you how pleased I am with what God has laid out for us. Now, when you're walking through it, you know what? It just feels like steps. But the truth is, it's life unfolding. And when you're going through it, sometimes life unfolding feels kind of ugly. But the promise of Psalm 37 is that it will form a pattern of life that you can delight in because you see that God has made you spiritually strong, different than other people. He has made you firm in some way, established you. Can anybody feel me here? That's just six miracles in the summer. You ready for the seventh? As of today, somebody say today. today. Pastor Sutherland is full time with us. Now, I want to recount some of that in just a second. But I'm going to tell you something. I am a rough cut stone. I have never said any differently. I probably will never de- be any differently. I, I, truthfully, I delight. Of the sun. Mo- most of it is completely sincere. There's a little bit of it that's just a small act in the sense that I don't want to be all that refined. I installed Facebook Messenger for the first time in a lot of years. I did it because I was getting so many messages about Titus. The first three were demoniacs that I have dealt with through the years. I thought that was kind of funny. I took it as a little bit of an honor. I I messed up and read some of one of them. A man had been messaging me for six months, making threats on my life, talking ugly about... Even if Pastor Wade was preaching, it was still somehow my fault, right? Carrying on a full-blown conversation with himself. I never... I didn't have any idea the man was even writing to me. Okay? I'm reading this going, good God, he's worked up. I, could, I hadn't been that mad in a long time, you know, if ever. And uh, mind you, the whole time he's an agent of the Lord that the Lord brought to correct me. <laughs> and I began to think about the opposition that we face daily. And I had to smile and say, you know what? I still delight in what's happening here. It's not even worth comparing. It's not even close because you know what? I'm going to see generations Serve the Lord. Pastor Sutherland and I first discussed something that he must have thought was insane 
about October 20th of 2011. My wife had a vision and I had a, a, a just strange nagging feeling in my core. I didn't know how to square it with what I saw around me. But I called Pastor Sutherland and I said, look, I know you kind of got a really neat thing going on where you're at. And we're, you know, meeting in a storefront with just a handful of people. I kind of think the Lord is telling me that you are going to pastor life-changing ministries. Pastor Wade's always gracious. It makes it sometimes hard to know, you know, like he didn't look at me and say, I think you're insane. He's like, well, you know, I appreciate that. We'll keep that in mind. That's about all I got out of it. It'd be five years in October since that was said. I can look back and see that the course of our life, God has been directing. And all it took was the courage to trust Him. And how can we not delight? Do you delight in Pastor Sutherland being here? Yes. Let me tell you seven things that Pastor Sutherland had to do to get here. You tell me which one of them you want to do tomorrow. He left a prestigious church position. Anybody want to walk away from, I don't know, pastoring thousands of people? Anybody here think that's a good idea? But it's what the Lord required of him. He sold his house, the nicest house he had ever lived in. By far the nicest house he had ever lived in. In the nicest area he had lived in. Not only in the best state, which is of course Texas, but in the prettiest city in Texas. Third, he turned down the next job offer he got, which was, it was six figures. Can I tell you that life-changing ministries is not barely two figures? <laughs> then he turned down another prestigious ministry job in another state. The kind that not only pays an awful lot, but comes with lots of uh, accolades. Somebody actually begged him to take that. They're good friends, really respect him. Then he worked a full-time job here with low pay and high responsibilities while he funded his life from the sale of his house just to be here and be a part of us. Then the Lord began to move on him about the kind of distinction that comes between those that are totally abandoned to the Holy Spirit and those that um, talk about it more than they do it. And it came time for him to resign that job, which meant he lost his house, his next house. These seven things contain two jobs lost, six figures, and two houses lost. Do you honestly think that Pastor Wade will look back with regret on those decisions? Or do you think he will delight in that path? Because that very testimony allows him to stand in this room and lead Christians as fine as you are because he has done what he's asking you to do. Church, the steps of a spiritually strong, valiant man 
are established, prepared, made steadfast by the Lord. It results in a pattern of life that the man can delight in. This year already, just this year, are you all still with me? I'm not boring you, am I? Just this year, not counting multiple trips to these nations. We've already been to eight nations this year. That's not including the fact that Brent is about to relocate his family, that Buddy's about to go again to Peru. That It's not including all of the double, triple, and, and quadruple visits. This year, this church has already done missions in eight nations, eight international missions trips. I just want to throw out a few other notable mentions. Is that okay? Sweetwater Energy began this year. I said, well, what does that have to do with church? Well, I watched an elder during a difficult time in his life stretch out in faith in new ways. And we have seen from a totally selfless standpoint, I don't want any more. All I want, said the elder, is to provide some jobs for some people and benefit the kingdom. And in the same year the business was started, it already employs four people in this church. We saw Cody get engaged this year. We see the Vincents ready to launch this year. We see Elijah Fowler born this year. This year, baby Treaster will come. Another baby. Strongman, Gibber. This year, we will see River Parsons born. I'm still trying to get them to name her Tatiana Magnifica. Just because I think it would be a great, great match to, I don't know, maybe Titus Magnus. This year, we turned Garza Prison upside down. This year, the Montrose area has been affected by this church. This year, prison ministry in Brazoria County has been shaken to its foundations. We've started home meetings. Discipleship is occurring in three pastors' homes weekly, plus many of your homes. This year, Chris Rosora started Lighthouse. I mean, there is no shortage to the number of victories that we should be grateful for. No shortage to the number of things in which God is doing. When we look back upon this year, it will not be the year that somebody became such a sniveling coward that they gave in to their flesh and divorced themselves from us. This will be the year that we saw generations change for the Lord. This will be the year that we saw a miraculous summer. This will be the year that we saw the Sutherlands come on board. This will be the year where the lines were so clear that the demoniacs no longer dared to come into our building. They messaged us like cowards from afar. It's hard to make this stuff up. And I'm getting kind of old now. I'm a grandpa. I used to get upset about this stuff. I was reading it and I was like, oh, bless his heart. (laughs) 
He's like a crocodile. He got all those teeth and he can't brush them and he's angry. <laughs> Look, there is a law of prophets writings, Old and New Testament, that we're going to go through because that is my custom. Before we do, I want to share with you something that just needs to be celebrated. If this was the first day of the Sutherland's full-time uh, service to this church, and it is, I can't just move on past that. There was a time period when we couldn't figure out how to support even half of one of us. We are so dedicated to this body. Look around. We are so dedicated to this body that we're trying to keep a ratio of something like 50 people to one pastor. That's because we believe that real pastoring is when we are involved in every facet of each other's lives. We believe that discipleship is a life-on-life -life contact. We believe this so strongly that all the pastors are moving on the same street and doing it this month. And two of us are moving in the same house. Two, two families in the same house. It was less than five years ago we began the One Association. I mean, we dreamed it up five years ago, and now it's already up and running and functioning like it should. I want to share with you two scriptures regarding what I think about the Sutherlands, and then I want to move on to the rest of the message, Jephuna. Are you all all right? Did you all forget about Jephuna? You don't know what Jephuna has to do with Psalm 37, do you? That's good. Then you've got a reason to continue to listen. Uh, go to 1 Thessalonians 1. And let's just pick up in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. I haven't met anybody that I think works harder than the P. Rose do. I, I love the way their faith produces work in their lives. Your labor prompted by love. I'm watching the Sutherlands labor because they love you and they love Jesus. To the extent that they've given up houses, paychecks, prestige, everything that most men want in this world just to be able to dedicate more time, more energy, more passion to making sure that you are equipped to do the work of God in your life. That is their uh, mezuzah statement to equip believers that is a labor that is prompted by love say with me labor, labor. let us go to revelation 14 <clears throat> are you all okay with a little bit of a laid-back message tonight i don't have the voice for anything else at the moment revelation 14 grandparents have to pace themselves a little bit let me just say while we're in Revelation 14, that when I look at the front row here, there are a lot of attractive people, but there's only one really sexy grandma. The Romanian word for grandma is bunica. This is what Judah has chosen for Jennifer. She is uh, bunica. I don't know why that is so personally satisfying to me, but it... 
It is. And if you're wondering, everyone is still undecided uh, as to what I'll be called. I answer to anything. Uh, feel free to give suggestions to the young couple. They will take them. Are you in Revelation 14? Yes. Verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Let me tell you something. This summer's victories cannot be taken from us. The seven victories that the Sutherlands have in their labor of love will never be taken from them. When they look back, they will not be looked upon as hardships. They will be looked upon with delight because they were a labor of love that testify for an eternity of the extent to which Jesus is Lord in their life. If we don't learn anything from this time that's been difficult but fruitful, We need to learn to delight in what God has put in front of us each day. Because if he has ordered or or prepared or established this unfolding of life before us, then how could it be bad? Our loving Father has destined for each of us that which we will delight in once we have passed the test. That is because he loves us. So whatever Cody goes through, he will go through because his loving father is preparing a way before him. Say preparing a way. way. Don't you think that loving fathers should prepare a way for their sons? I've noticed in Brenton's life he's become fond of a particular college on the East Coast. Since he was very young, Prophecies came forward about him becoming a judge. It's interesting the way that stuff works. I don't know that I would want to be a judge. I don't think you get a fortune cookie one day and just decide that. His parents believe they heard from God about this. And they're doing their very best to prepare a way before him that he can walk out. Do you really think our Heavenly Father is not preparing a way before you for you to walk out? Turn with me to Numbers 14. The steps or unfolding of life for a brave, spiritually strong man is prepared or established, made firm and steadfast by Yahweh. The man will delight in his pattern of life. Say there when you're in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, we're beginning in the law. We're going to work from left to right and then close this message. In Numbers 14, beginning in verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his servants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moshe and Aaron, how long? Will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Except, say except, Except. Caleb, son of, son of, 
and Joshua, son of Nun. What are the things that you remember about Caleb from this passage? He's wholehearted. He has a different spirit. Anybody learning Hebrew quickly finds out that Caleb is an interesting name. It means dog. Why would anybody name their kid dog? Of course, it also has the connotation wholehearted because that's what a dog is, all heart. Do you think when Caleb looks back upon his life, what he will be uh, sad that he spent 40 years in the desert? Sad that he maintained his convictions when a whole nation didn't? Sad that he was around all of those losers all of that time? Or do you think he will delight in the fact that what he couldn't do at 45 because God didn't allow, at 85 he did and he was still a giant killer at 85? Who was Caleb the son of? Jephunneh is an interesting word. Jephunneh does not appear... Uh, anywhere in the Bible other than in connection with uh, Caleb's life and one other obscure mention in the genealogy. Jephunneh means for whom a way was prepared. Caleb was not an ordinary man. He had a different spirit than every other man. He followed God with all heart. Some would see him as a dog. I see him as a wholehearted son. The way that you face tomorrow's trial will entirely depend on whether or not you believe, number one, that God has made you a spiritually strong man. Number two, is he causing your life to unfold on an ordered, established, prepared, and steadfast pattern that you can delight in? Or do you not trust him and you think that the next thing that happened was probably a surprise and you can't handle it? See, Caleb saw every trial that he came to as one more chance to maintain his conviction, trust the Lord, and move forward with a heart to kill giants, to overcome obstacles. So he goes down in history as one of only two faithful men out of three million men. Some would call him a dog. Well, if that's what being God's lapdog is, then bark, bark. I'm all for it. Would you delight to have lived a life like Caleb? You can't get to the end of his life without going through the middle of it. This is difficult. That's why it's not just any man's whose steps are ordered. It's a valiant, masculine, strong courageous, spiritually brave kind of man. If you lack those things, ask him. God will give you what you lack. But don't think that there is any place in the kingdom for those that are cowards when it comes to the moment of challenge and conflict. Listen, all around us, we can see three million who fall away. There were only two that made it. You know, it's one thing to leave Egypt. It was another to get to the other side of the Jordan. You follow me here? Three million leave Egypt. How many crossed that Jordan, though? Of the original generation, only two. Think about that. The place the arising church is meeting right now is called the other side. That's kind of poetic, isn't it? They moved from a tent to a building called the other side. Some went, some never went to the other side. 
Not everybody's going to make it. But when they don't, it's because they're not spiritually strong. They have not trusted and depended upon the Lord. They have depended upon their own arm. I'm going to delight in my weaknesses because they'll show the Lord's strength. This is not a time to sit around and mourn. This is a time to celebrate the Lord's strength in the midst of our weaknesses. Somebody say amen. Amen. A dog to some, but wholehearted to others. Let's go to Isaiah 35, 8. Put it on the screen for us, would you? <clears throat> and a highway will be there. It will be called the way. That word way there is direct. The pattern of life, of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. In one sense, of course, this is like a highway that you're literally walking on. But in another sense, it is, of course, a metaphor for the pattern of life that you display. There would be a highway there. It would be called the way or the pattern of life, the direct of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that pattern of life. Wicked fools will not go about on it. It's not that a wicked fool can't find a roadway. Anybody who's driven on Interstate 10 in the afternoon knows that they can. It's that the wicked fool cannot walk in this pattern of life because they trust only in their own arms and they don't trust in the Lord. When they look back upon their lives, it will not be with delight. All of their delight is for this moment like a dog that is trained to follow its own senses or a pig that only wants to fill his belly. But the man who trusts in the Lord, he denies those things, becomes spiritually strong and develops a pattern of life that is defined by holiness. God says there will be so many of us on that day, it will be like a highway going through the wilderness. Did you know that redemption always starts in the wilderness? If you didn't, Monday night would have been a good study for you to attend. In the law, we see that Caleb is the son of Jephunneh. He was a man who was different spirit, wholehearted, because he was the son of someone who had a way prepared before him. In the prophets, we see that the unfolding of my life needs to be in that way. I need to be the giver the man who is spiritually strong, who is established, prepared, and steadfast as a pattern of life from the Lord that we can delight in. Do you delight in what the Lord has done in your life already? Let them be memorial stones that will carry you through the next place. There are so many who get right to the edge. They cross the whole desert, but they cannot cross the Jordan. There are so many who do good for a season, but they don't have a depth of root. Or they have a depth of root and they begin to grow. But weeds that are the cares and worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke them out. Listen, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But if you love the Father and turn your back on the world, you will delight in the life that He builds for you. No sacrifice will be a burden to you. As 1 John says, the commands are, this is love that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. 
Let us go to the writings. Psalm 25. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Good and upright is Yahweh. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his direct. It is those who are struggling, leaving an old way, trying to find a new way that he instructs. And he will give them a pattern of life. He takes those who are sinners and he teaches them to walk in a way that is spiritually strong. A way that he establishes, he prepares, he makes steadfast. It forms a pattern of life that when they look back, they delight in what God is doing. Look at verse 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Do you know what is not humble? It is not humble to receive prophecy and correction and warning and pleading and continue to go your own way. It is the height of arrogance. If somebody loves you enough to come and say, I want you to be strong. God has got something good for you. But you're going to have to walk in his way and you're out of it and need to repent and get in it. If somebody loves you enough to do that. How could you not be humble enough to want to do what is right and learn that way? Listen, pride is your enemy and it's why most fall. Listen to me, not so, look around you. We're no different than any other congregation in that regard. In five years, some will not be in the faith who are sitting here with you right now. I can say that with confidence because I've been doing this 23 years and I've heard all of the spiritual macho bravado and I'm standing here and most of them are not. I want you to make it. I want you to have a life that you can look back at and be delighted in what's been done. Verse 10. All the ways, all the direct of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the keep the God does not have request of you they are not up for debate they are not in question God makes demands of you when you do what a king says to do he is your king when you do not do what the king says to do you are a rebel to his kingdom It is really that clear. He is loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. The covenant of God has demands upon you. Do you know what the very first demand is? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It is not possible to please your flesh, to please your pride of life, to please those things and please the Lord. The beginning and end of the kingdom is a daily losing of your own life. But I am here to tell you, He will give you back beautiful things. I have a family that is better than the one that I lost. I have friends that are better than the ones that I lost. I have an inheritance better than the one that I lost. I have a future better than the one that I lost. He doesn't require you to give your life away once. He requires it many, many times. Verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. 12. 
Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for God has a pattern, a direct, a way of life for you. He has one for every person in this room. He prepared it in advance. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for that specific work. And if you have the spiritual courage to do it, when you look back at your life, you will not be disappointed. There's nobody ever that has trusted the Lord, reached the end and said, you know what? What he had for me was really just not that good. But there are an awful lot of weak-willed, whimpering Christians that get right up to the Jordan, say it's too hard and spend the rest of their life making excuses and blaming God because their life is not one that they can delight in because they were not a giver. They were an ordinary man. When he filled you with his spirit, you became more than ordinary. Could we go to the New Testament? Is that all right? Do y'all have... Two and a half more minutes for me? It takes me longer to do things now. Getting up and down those steps. I'm going to file for AARP here soon. You don't like that talk, do you, Jim? I'm excited about being a grandpa. uh, She's not sure what to think about all this boonica talk. You love it? Boonica. In Acts 24, 14. By the way, I should have read. Can you go back to Psalm 25? Put 13 and 14 on the screen. I want you to get this one little thing. I, I'm so sorry that I'm flipping you around like this. But this is where you'll be, you'll be happy we repented and went back to this verse. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. Hear this. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. You know one reason that I really can't be sad when we experience temporal loss, when we are brokenhearted because we love someone who doesn't judge the Lord worthy enough of their obedience? I shed tears like every other person, so do each of these pastors. We wrestle with the deep truths of the faith and what our response should be. But at the end of the day... The Lord confides in those who fear Him. Think about what that means. The God of the universe whispers His will to us. He speaks to us. How can you not delight in your way when you know that God is directing it? Surely the man that is depressed about his life is depressed because he's not sure God is in it. But the man who knows that God is directing his life, when you have God confiding in you, I just think you should let that settle in a little bit. How many of you like it when a close friend confides some struggle, some secret, some revelation with you? To have the counsel of the Most High confide in an ordinary man, and it makes him more than ordinary. Acts 24, 14. We're going to get a New Testament law, a prophet, and a writing. However, this is Paul before Felix. I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, the pattern of life, 
which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In Acts 24, the Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. He actually appeals to Caesar when he could be set free. Who does something like that? The man who believes that God has made him spiritually strong, that his life is unfolding according to a set design that was established by God, the man who believes that his pattern of life is one that he'll be able to look back and delight in. Paul argued with Agabus and Luke and all of the other brothers who were there in the Ephesian council. And he said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to go, but to die there. This was a man who was giving away his life and the result was God was giving him a life that really is life. How many of you admire the Apostle Paul? He worshiped God as a follower of the way, the way that Isaiah spoke about, the way that we are attempting to walk in, the way that we will delight in if we have the courage to hang on to it. Let's go to the book of Revelation, the first chapter and the ninth verse. The Apostle John is an old man. He's outlived all of his friends and he's on the island of Patmos. And he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom. Wow. And patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So I guess John was pretty depressed to be on the island of Patmos, huh? What did the Lord do with him on the island of Patmos? He confided in him. He gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ that we call the book of Revelation. Where did he get it? He got it in the midst of what most people would think is misery. But I think he delighted in those hardships because they showed him to be a giver. They showed that his pattern of life was something that he could delight in. Is there anybody here that doesn't think... Let, let me say this. You may not want to go through what he went through, but how many of you would like to receive the crown he's going to get? When he receives that reward, do you think he will look back with regret and say, I wished I hadn't spent so much time in that jail? This is the way we face our summers. This is the way we face our hardships. This is the way we face our trials. They are earning for us, number one, companionship with our brothers around the world, and number two, a life that we can look back on and delight in. You ready for your last passage? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. It's a familiar one, but you, do, you, you would do well to consider it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Anybody excited about that? Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I'm not suggesting that you're looking for hardship, that you're hoping for hardship. 
although this is life-changing ministries. We're a peculiar bunch. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? My power is made perfect in weakness. Do you know how an ordinary man becomes something more? The Lord lets his life unfold in a way that reveals the man's weakness, but he trusts the Lord. A giver is a man who trusts the Lord. That causes the pattern of his life to be ordered by God, established by God, prepared by God, steadfast because of God, and that man will delight in it. Our weaknesses are not actually weaknesses. They're victories waiting to happen. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Would anybody ever be sad to see that Christ's power was resting on them? A man would delight if he saw that, wouldn't he? You will never see Christ's power resting on your strength. It will only come in those broken moments where you trust him. They come when you have to kiss your son and leave him in a country while you go somewhere else. They come when you go kneel outside beside a trampoline and say, Lord, I'm happy to give you my grandchildren that I won't see. They happen in those moments. But the power of God is capable of not only forming you in that moment, but also giving you back that which you gave to him. I love this king of ours. Some of you in here are struggling to get pregnant. Some of you have lost babies. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have struggled in ways that you don't even want to admit out loud. But if we trust the Lord, the confidence that we can have could you put slide seven on the screen? The confidence that we can have is that the steps are unfolding of your life. Say, my life. My if you're brave, spiritually strong, if you could just ask Him to help you be brave to face it, help you be strong because you're admitting your weakness, that God is preparing and establishing, making firm and steadfast your pattern of life. And you know what? You'll delight in it. I can tell you that I delight in the hardships of previous years. I can tell you that I absolutely am over my head, head over heels with joy with what life looks like today. I am co-laboring with my best friends. They have stood the test. They have sold all. They have given all. They've laid everything aside and their deeds will follow them for an eternity. We are laboring on behalf of a king who set that example and for the benefit of sheep who are following our example. This is the best life a man can have. Not because I have a grandson or two but because I have the promises of God made more certain in my life. If you really trust the Lord, 
The way you can show that is by facing tomorrow's trials with courage, seeing them as opportunities for victory. We've had victory this summer. We've had victory in eight nations. We've had victory in the pastor's lives. We've had victory in the events of this church. And there is more ahead of us. When you see the house of God getting right, meaning judgment beginning in the house of God, when you see prophecies on the way to prison ministry and people getting their finances right because they've been in disgusting sin, when you see God cutting out of His church cancerous serving of the flesh, when you see God disciplining sons because He loves them, do you know what repentance precedes? Power. He is getting His church ready to face this world and its age that we're in in a way that we will delight in. That's what's happening. I ask you to take stock of where you stand in that. Not very often that I try to pat you on the back, but despite all of the devil's best, not only are we still standing here, we're further than we were three months ago. He can't stop us. At best, he slows us down and picks off a few who love the world. Well, I do not love the world or anything in it. For me, it's holiness or die trying. If that's your heart, would you stand to your feet with me?